Coming to the end of our first day of the retreat. It's been a full 24 hours since the retreat started last night. And we can just reflect on how that's been, the different visitors that we've hosted, this notion that Eugene started us off with last night of hosting our own being, being present for each moment and uh, attentive for what emerges in the space of body-mind. And we can see it's been quite a varied ride, quite a lot of different states, feelings, movement, energetic experiences that emerge from just within one day. few different universes within this room and within our own being. First day on a retreat is often a day of transition. Um, So in some ways it can be a bit of a bumpy ride coming from our daily life and uh, into this kind of a space. It's like hitting a, a train going at 90 miles an hour, hitting the brakes skidding to a halt, you can almost hear the sparks flying sometimes, this uh, feeling of everything coming to a stop. And so, although we might stop externally, put ourselves into this kind of space, internally often there's uh, quite some (laughs) momentum that carries on. Um, And so for some people, it's a restlessness, a busy mind, um, but not much for that mind to absorb into, and so it allows us to just see that, just to reflect on how the way the mind becomes conditioned in our daily life. Often we don't really have a chance to reflect around that, we're just busy reacting, responding, being, the Buddhist word is being born into one, uh, one movement, one experience, one plan, one intention after another. Um, so it's interesting just to stop and see this profound feeling of momentum, uh, that which takes us into birth, shapes our energy body into some kind of activity, some kind of view or feeling. Um, And for others it's been a day feeling the opposite, not so much restless or um, agitated, but perhaps just sleepy, just feeling a sense of dullness, sleepiness. Sometimes, again, in our daily life, we run on an energy, a bit of a false energy. It doesn't really come from, uh, from a centered and grounded place. It comes from either um, willpower or coffee or adrenaline or uh, some project we just have to get through. And we find that uh, we can just push ourselves and override um, our inner weariness. And so, again, some, for some, <laughs> when we stop like this and we, we push the pause button, we find that there's a deep exhaustion that's beyond maybe even the, the hindrance of dullness and uh, sleepiness. It's just the body is literally tired. And so, if that's the case, then maybe the kindest thing to do is to take time to rest. Just allow the body to rest and start again. So. These first day of a retreat, first few days, um, it's really just very important to be gentle, kind, spacious, patient, 
with the different moods that come and go, feeling having to um, be with a group. Perhaps we might uh, live on our own or be used to our own space. Coming into a group situation, we can sometimes get irritated by the presence of others or impatient when we have to queue. and so we, can, we just go through different reactions. So just being, allowing ourselves to go through a transition in a kindly, spacious way. And for a lot of these kinds of states and reactions and responses, resistances that emerge, um, there's not really that, that much to do other just to allow some space and kindliness, just to allow things to shift and change organically and as we settle more into a retreat mode. Finding our own balance is quite important in this process. Um, how much energy to put in, when to relax, when to exert some more uh, effort. There's a story from the time of the Buddha, one of the Buddha's disciples, which I think has something quite important to reflect around in terms of our use of effort and energy and how Um, we access that, how we generate that, and how it guides our practice. How can we find uh, a connection with our energy that's authentic, that's supportive, that's nourishing, and helps in in a sustained way to guide and support our practice. Sometimes we can use great efforts of will, and um, may get us through a few sittings, And then we can find ourselves collapsing because, in fact, we haven't really, our efforts been out of tune with the pace of our body or where we're actually at. Um, Or sometimes we're habituated to just drifting off and if anything feels a little bit difficult, we don't know quite how to apply, just, just stretch ourselves a bit more and stay with something that's uncomfortable. We just get up and move or go off into some fantasy. So finding how to stay connected with the present moment from a source of energy that feels continuous and sustainable and nourishing. This is something that has a profound contemplation for me, anyhow, um, having explored and (laughs) bounced between the two extremes of uh, willpower and control and strong effort and then spacing out and drifting away. Um, and one of the <clears throat> practices we've been really um, trying to do to help find that sense of balanced effort is, is grounding our attention, our awareness with the body, the body, allowing the body to inform us. So at the time of the Buddha, there was this disciple, a Sona Bhikkhu, a young man, and he came from a very well-to-do family. Um, and he was brought up in very comfortable circumstances and didn't know much deprivation and as a result had quite a sensitive body. He didn't have a very rugged body. If you think of the, at the time of the Buddha, when you read about the early disciples, you realize that they were quite a tough bunch um, of ascetics that followed the Buddha around. They lived out, um, they lived a very, quite a harsh life. Uh, just eating whatever food came along, wandering, doing a lot of walking from one village to another. Sometimes even um, when there were famines, there was one story when there was a famine that they had to just eat the food that they were giving for horses. So these aren't 
people that have generally sensitive bodies that need all sorts of conditions to support them. They were quite a rough, rugged band of of, um, followers. So Sona got very inspired by the Buddha and decided he wanted to join and follow in the footsteps. But because he had this this quite sensitive um, constitution, it was not an easy um, life for him, but he had an enormous amount of faith and aspiration. So one day he was doing his walking meditation, inspired and uplifted and devoted to the path of enlightenment, uh, walking up and down on his path so much that his feet began to bleed because in the early days the disciples walked barefoot. And in fact, he hadn't walked barefoot in his whole life, so his feet were very tender. And then he began to, actually, um, his inspiration began to flag a bit and he started to think about, well, <laughs> maybe he could go back to the lay life and make a lot of merit and perhaps next lifetime he would <laughs> try the, the bhikkhu way. And so the Buddha, in his psychic vision, um, saw Sona in this quandary and appeared before him and said, Sona, um, your feet are bleeding. <laughs> what did you do in your previous situation when you were a lay person? What, what, what did you used to like to do? What did you do? And he said, well, um, I used to play the lute, like a musical instrument with strings. And so the Buddha said, well, what happened when the strings were too tight. Um, and he said, well, you get this horrible, squeaky, wavy noise. He said, well, what happened if they were too loose? Said, well, well, there'd be no tune, nothing much would happen. And he, and he said, in the same way, um, adjusting, adjust your effort in tune with your body so that you know, the noise that you make is tuneful, harmonious. So this... this was quite um, helpful for Son. He realized that just strong effort, strong willpower wasn't the only way. That, in fact, he needed to understand his own body, his own constitution, and find that balance. Um, and so sometimes in meditation we put too much effort um, and can even damage the body, the knees or the back. Uh, so just to find in your own practice, your own way, just to keep trying to tune in what is, the, what is that balance? What is too tight? Where am I getting too tight? I'm getting a headache, I'm getting irritated, I'm getting uptight. Um, and what is too loose? I'm just drifting away, I'm just lost and not really here. Um, can we get a sense of how to connect with a source or a base of energy that is, that is steadier, that is more balanced? And can we do that through breath and body? through working with breath and body, can we perhaps, even in subtle ways, finding ourselves, if we're someone that's quite controlling, quite goal-orientated, quite ambitious in our life, then we'll probably project that into our meditative life. Um, And so we're trying to get somewhere all the time, trying to get away from something that's here. Then perhaps we need to just, in a very subtle way, focus on something like the out-breath. Just the, the, the movement when we breathe out, just highlighting that. What, what happens when you breathe out? Um, Kilisaro is talking from the Sutta this morning of the Buddha, breathing out, suffusing the body and letting go, this feeling of just relaxing, trusting, allowing things to flow, breathing out, breathing out, softening through the body, through the chin, the, the shoulders, the belly. 
So for someone that perhaps is more on the tight side, the string's too tight, um, perhaps just learning to soften the body, soften the belly, breathing out, coming to feeling the palms of the hand, the soles of the feet, um, just allowing the breath to suffuse the whole body. On the other hand, someone maybe too, the string's too loose, we sit down and we realize two hours later we've, we're not even in the room. The body's seat, sit, sitting here, but somehow we've been planning the next week's work when we go back. Or what, what are we going to do with some situation that we need to resolve? Um, and so maybe learning to perhaps set a little goal in our meditation, maybe say five breaths bringing more attention to the in-breath, which is uh, something that is more energizing. Breathing in fully down through the body, feeling the subtlety of the breath as it ripples through the body. Can we just highlight that experience? And say, can I actually be with, even with my fingers, count one breath in, second breath in, third breath in, four, oh, off planning again, one breath in. So to give a little, if, we're, if we find ourselves a sort of person that drifts around in, in a fog, very don't quite know how to make decisions or where we're going, what we're doing, can we just learn in our meditation to set little goals like that? Maybe that will help to connect us, encourage the mind, the body, the breath to connect together. The, so just these very simple, skillful means, ways of knowing how we are. It's not that we're necessarily one way or the other all the time. Knowing how we are in this moment, in this sitting, maybe how to adjust. So we don't just get into a rut, we sit down and we just do our old technique without checking into, well, how's the body now? What's the energy like? Where is, where is there an imbalance? Like when we were doing the standing this morning, feeling where the imbalance is, sleepy, restless, dull, irritated. Uh, Maybe just taking that into consideration before we apply our mindfulness, our awareness with with breath, breath and body. So today we've been looking at this, uh, one of these very... um, important areas of, of the notion of path. Uh, Buddha's teaching is presented in, uh, with the notion of a path or way, transformation, process of transformation, engaging um, our life's energy in a way of leading that leads from a place of constriction, pain, suffering, ignorance, into a place of clarity, well-being, uh, awakening. And this path laid out quite systematically. And it's not that it's, we start from point A to point Z. Um, it's a more circular movement, really. And then this particular aspect of path that we were looking at or have been practicing um, samadhi is in some ways perhaps uh, the most challenging aspect uh, because it deals directly with the meditative practice. Um, Sila, the base of uh, wholesome living, 
And then upon that, this gathering, the aspects um, of our being, of our mind, into awareness, just gathering our being into the place of presence, awareness. Often when people leave retreats and they feel that they've become dispersed or they say they've lost it or they need to go on another retreat, often what they're actually articulating is this loss of experience of samadhi, the loss of feeling of being centered or gathered or rooted in in the mind's own well-being, a deeper pool of well-being, which is accessible um, to us, which is a a sort of loss of that, a loss of sense of spaciousness, a loss of samadhi, really. And then what we feel often is constricted or more fearful or or caught up more in the acquiring mind, the mind and the ego consciousness that's trying to get somewhere and get away from things. And so we start to live on a more sort of fragile level or superficial level of our being. And it feels much more like a struggle um, and a battlefield. Whereas the experience of samadhi feels more like we've able to connect with a deeper sense of contentment, peacefulness, well-being, that sort of driving, thirsting need for something else is is diminished or quenched um, until it's some are samadhi of a Buddha, it's only temporarily. But uh, often what the experience in the meditation retreat can give little by little is an opening into the possibility that um, we can access a source of well-being that's not dependent upon the weather being nice or our friends being nice to us or the world around us not upsetting us. Um, and this, this is a in many ways a a very wonderful discovery because so much of our well-being and pleasure and happiness is dependent upon um, the externals and we have no idea sometimes that um, we can with some skill, some focus, some training that we can actually learn to access that uh, peace and contentment um, within ourselves and within ourselves. So this samadhi, this samadhi um, means something like gathered um, mind, body, unified, um, a sense of lightness, brightness um, within the heart, within the heart and mind. Sometimes it's described like a, a cool lake on a hot day, something cool, or sometimes described like a, a spring, a well bubbling up. It's this feeling of the energy, the natural flow energy of the body and mind just exuding a sense of well-being. So this support or a way or access or that which supports this quality of samadhi supported by moments of being here really, sati, mindfulness, moments of just being presence when they become more continuous. And mind is not busy um, seeking here and there when there's just more sense of just being able to be here, connected with body, with breath. And that becomes more sustained 
then there's these moments of feeling this experience with samadhi. So mindfulness supported by that which is the energy or balance. Uh, and also these, okay, so I was talking about these jhana factors this morning, trying to not make too esoteric a, a, um, a notion around this word jhana just means absorption or where the, where the mind begins to turn in. Depends upon partly being able to put things down um, from our daily concerns, put things down from within the mind itself. There's the teaching he read from talked about mind being able to turn from seeking of sensory pleasure, finding absorption or wholeness rather through one of the sense doors, beautiful sound, beautiful sight, beautiful feeling, although these things are beautiful, pleasurable in and of themselves because of their nature of shifting and changing. Um, we can enjoy them momentarily, but then, of course, they, they, then our mind easily becomes um, distracted again. So being able to turn the mind from needing to even, on a subtle level, Ascent the, uh, the thinking mind is like a sense. Being able to, for the sake of cultivating this quality of samadhi, being able to even take the mind from its obsession with, it, with, it, with our thoughts. And it's not to say that thinking is bad or doesn't have its place or it's not a vehicle for us, but sometimes when we just obsessively and habitually think, um, then we constantly feel fractured dispersed. It's not a very conscious thought process. So in the meditative um, process we don't really want to make an enemy of thought or start a battle of thought, but just learning moments. Can we put our thinking down? Can we say when we're busy planning something or looking to something, can we just say, I'll deal with this next week or in the future, I'll come back to you, I promise I'll worry about this (laughs) at the end of the retreat. I'll give you all the worry that it needs. But can we just have moments of that renunciation, of that moving away, just for the sake of feeling what happens when we just allow something to be put down? Well, often two things happen. Often we feel a relief, but we also can feel quite disconcerted because we're so used to um, identifying with our thoughts. We're so used to feeling our thinking there that we just say, just put that down for a short while. It can be both relief and, and also maybe a little unsettling. So it's something we acquire skill for, just saying. So in this support of samadhi, these jhana factors, the very first aspect of this vitaka means being able to direct the attention to something more wholesome or skillful or present, body and breath, something more here. So we learn to say maybe move the, the attention from the cycle of thought or fantasy or planning or whatever, daydreaming, worry, anxiety, trying to figure it all out. And you just say, well, is the mind trying to figure it all out? Directing then this vitaka, this without any vitaka, it's very hard to have much gatheredness, much samadhi. Vitaka means to direct the attention directing it in a certain way. So it's quite a yang movement, which is to say courage, maybe gently, one doesn't have to direct it with a sledgehammer. Um, with a great act of will, one can gently say, 
here and now, breath and body. So it's just this gentle nudging. Sometimes it's not so gentle. (laughs) Sometimes the Buddha says one can also experiment with a strong nudge. The mind's really obsessed. But just learning to find what's the quality of effort that we apply to just nudge to the here and now, body, breath, allowing that vitaka to to bring, to introduce. There's another reality here. I mean, perhaps it's not so interesting as my producing a, a new opera in my mind, but it's the slow rhythm, but just allowing, as Kisar used a very important word today, I think, in the meditative process, used the word humble. It's a humble movement. Can I receive one breath? Can I be here? Can I just feel the body? So this vitaka takes the attention to whatever object. We're working with body breath. It could be sound, it could be mantra. Could be if we're working as we, the retreat goes on, we might use this, we'll use these skills um, for inquiry more, inquiry into nature of self, nature of different states. But for now, just bringing the attention, body breath, here and now. And then the companion to Vitaka Vichara is a Pali word for to, to stay connected with. It's more the yin, it's the receptive quality that these two work together. So it's no good just going from breath, breath, breath <laughs> in a very heavy-handed way uh, without the vichara. Vichara actually then makes a space and receives and stays connected with and feels. What, what, is, what are we taking our attention to now? What is here? We can feel what is breath. We say breath as if it's a, a word, as if it's kind of like a thing. But what is the actual experience of breath? We taka can't really know that because it's just directing. We chara just, it's like it would hold on to maybe these beads. We taka, if I'm kind of looking all over the place, and the vitaka go beads. I want to investigate what's the nature of these beads. And then vichara will be more like to just feel. What do, what's the feeling? What's the texture? What's the color? What's the shape? How do they sit? Where, you know, that kind of movement. So vichara with breath, it feels breath. It stays connected with breath. It explores just the shape, the movement, the energetic experience of breath. So the yin and the yang, these two movements, um, help to support the, the beginning of supporting of this quality of samadhi or gatheredness or being present. Sometimes, and again, it's a question of balance because for some of us, we have a lot of vitaka in our lives. We know how to direct things. We, we have a, in our society, that's quite a strong um, muscle that, that's been developed. We know where we want to go. We know where we want to point. Um, when we're in a conversation, we know what we want to say. But sometimes I notice we're, we're not very strong when we charter in receptive mode. Um, perhaps receiving what is someone saying or what is the situation or what's happening here. So again, we can have an imbalance. Or for some people, again, they might have a lot of wichara receptivity, but find it very hard to have that yang, internal yang movement to direct, um, perhaps needing to be stronger, to high, emphasize it more, to actually use a word, breath, because the mind just floats away, breath, 
So again, this is another way of just saying, um, finding a balance and getting these two qualities in harmony. We tackle each other in relationship to the breath body, what we've been working with today. As we stay connected with this third factor called pity means to be filled with or to taste or to savor pity. Sometimes it's translated as rapture. Sarah's saying maybe a bit of a strong word for most of us on our first day of our meditation retreat. <laughs> but to actually, uh, we, we bring the attention to breath and body, breath within body, body within breath. They're not sort of Vayodhatu, the movement element, it's moving through the whole body, the subtle vibration is part of the breath energy. And we start to fill, be filled with, allowing the mind to, to actually resonate with, filled with, savor. So if you want to get the sense of what this pity, this, this joy or this, this well-being, it's actually being able to savor something, a wholesome, um, and in fact, this in a way allows the mind energy to, to know itself, to begin to, through the breath, body, uh, mind energy starts to, in a way, gather, and be filled with itself. It doesn't want anything more, fills the body. So pity is to, to savor, to fill, be filled with, to be um, connected, stay connected with breath energy. Letting things go, being filled with breath energy, letting things go, being filled with breath energy. And maybe we start to, to feel that and can sometimes feel like almost an excitement in the body. So this sukha means ease, just sort of like a calming, not a just allowing ourselves to, to like if you were going to rest into a warm bath. You know, the mind often very split from the body, encouraging mind, body, breath to begin to harmonize and work together. And the sukha means to relax or to eat, to feel a sense of ease, to rest in a sense of ease. With something very blameless and very simple and very always present. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.